0: Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, good morning, City Light. Uh, My name is Andrew. I am the college director here at the church. I'm excited to be back here with you guys. Um, If you have a Bible on you today, or if you have a phone with you, I really want you guys to to be seeing this. So would you open your Bibles, would you get out your phones, get on the app, but turn to Psalm 96. Turn to Psalm 96. I'm going to be jumping around In this psalm throughout today. So I want you guys just to have it open on your lap and follow with me. But uh, as you guys are flipping there, I want to begin just in a quick word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we need you this morning. As Chris said, you are our only hope. Spirit of God, would you not allow our hearts to be hard this morning? Would you stir our minds and our hearts towards you? Spirit, we need you to illuminate this truth for us. Do not let us walk out of here without a a renewed vision for who you are, O Lord. God, help us, help me as we walk through this text together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. City Light, what do you spend a majority of your time talking about? I want you to think about this. What do you spend a majority of your time talking about? What dominates your conversations? Like if you were to take an inventory of of one week, if you had one week and you looked at all the conversations, everything you talked about, what would you say is is the thing that dominates that conversation? What, What gets you really excited? What do you love talking to people about? And I want you to think about this Because I think more and more I'm learning that what we talk most often about is usually a good sign of what our hearts care most about. Like if you think about it, whatever has really captured our hearts usually permeates our minds and most often comes out of our mouth. If you really want to know what someone cares about, just listen to what they talk about. Like I was thinking about this this week, and and for me... It's not as much or as bad anymore, but, but I used to love talking sports. I mean, that was like my world. That was it. Like, if you knew me, you knew I loved talking sports. And I would, like me and my friends growing up, we would watch every game. And then we would do the thing where, okay, so you watch the game and then you sit for three hours and you watch like the highlights of the game. Have you guys done that? I mean, it's, it's really kind of crazy that you watch the entire game and then you spend time watching the highlights of the game you just watched on Sports Center. But you sit there and I watch hour after hour. And I don't know if girls do this much, but guys, you know that you've done it where you've watched hour after hour of Sports Center. Yeah. And you know, it's the same episode, like it's the same games, but you watch it, I'm enthralled by this, and I love this, and I want to go the next day and talk to people about, man, did you see the game, did you see that play, like, did you hear the new trade rumors, right, I I loved this, and if you knew me, you knew that, because I talked about it, and specifically for me, I love Minnesota sports. And so if you know me, you probably know that because I talk a lot about it. And if you were to ask me about the Vikings' chances this year, I might go off on you a little bit. And I might tell you why with another year under Teddy's belt, with AP happy with the organization, and with a strong defense, they're basically a lock for the Super Bowl this year. So <laughs> I, I may do that to you because what we love, we love to share. Yeah. right? What our hearts are captured by, I want you to be captured by it. I want you to believe What my heart believes, whatever it is that our hearts care about, our tongues will always reveal it. So I want you to think about, what does your tongue reveal about your heart? What is it that you talk most often about? You know, maybe for you it it is sports. Maybe it's another hobby or, or music or art. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a relationship that you have or that you wished you had. Maybe it's simply you, right? I mean, I've talked for three minutes. Two of them have been just about me, right? Like We talk about ourselves. We love ourselves. If you think about it, we, we love talking about ourselves because at our core, we love ourselves. What is it that dominates what you talk about? Because I think if you want to know what your heart loves, a good sign is what your tongue says. And I think that this matters for us this morning because I think in our culture, in our church today, here, all of us, we are so prone to a lack of excitement of God. We're so prone to be scared of talking to people about God, of having conversations about God. And I don't think it's because we don't know what to say. And I don't think it's because we're too busy for God. You see, City Light, I think the problem is that we are not enamored by the greatness and glory of God. And if our hearts are not captivated by God, we will never be a people that often talk about God. And so this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 96, and I want us to see how David highlights the glory of God. And He's going to attack our hearts. He's going to try to stir up an affection for the glory of God in our hearts so that it results in a zeal for the mission that he has given us. So this morning I just have two points. I want to walk us through God's glory and our mission. I think Psalm 96 is a perfect description of us stirring our hearts towards God and being passionate about telling the world about him. And as brutally honest as I can be, my hope is that none of us walk out of this door this morning without a stirred affection for God's glory and a renewed zeal for our mission. So that's where we're going this morning in Psalm 96, God's glory and our mission. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to be skipping around, and so I'm going to start just in verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip to 7 and 8. So read along with me. David writes this psalm, and he starts... O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. So what we see in here is these two commands that are both given three times. We say, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. And then he says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. What David's doing here is he's focusing on our heart. He's saying, man, sing, be, be in praise, have your heart overflowing with a new song about the new mercies of God, because we should be ascribing to the Lord or giving to the Lord, viewing the Lord, counting the Lord as glorious. Say, man, if your mind counts the Lord as glorious, it should overflow in song and in praise to His name. So the question I think we can ask then is, why is that so important? Like, why is David pleading with us? He gives us a whole psalm about praising and singing and ascribing to God glory. Why? Why is it important for us as a church to glorify God, to give him glory? I mean, is it is it simply because God is egotistical that he demands in his word that his people praise him? Is that he's insecure and just needs his people to praise him? That he just wants his creation to reaffirm that he's a good God? I don't think that's how David sees God. So let's look through these verses and see David's answer. Why he believes it is important for all peoples to view God as glorious above all things. Starting in verse 4, he gives us the reason. He says, For, or because, sing to the Lord, Because great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. For he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are. Are worthless idols. That idea of worthless idols, he's saying, it it literally means that they're nothing. It's nothingness. Like these idols, the things of this world in comparison to God are, are nothing. For great is the Lord to be praised. So what David's doing here is he's contrasting the glory of the Lord compared to all of the creation that we tend to give our hearts to. So let me explain it this way. Um, I had the opportunity this last month, in the month of June, to to be in Thailand. And so our team, we went to Thailand, and Thailand is a very, very Buddhist country. So about 90% of the country is Buddhist. So essentially, to be Thai is to be Buddhist. And, And so we, our team goes over there, and we're just enveloped in this culture. And when I think of verses like this, and I think of the gods of the peoples and the idols of all the religions... I think about things far off. I think about my time in Thailand when, when we got to actually visit a, a Buddhist temple. And so our team, we got to walk in, and, and the temple is set up. It's this huge like block area of a bunch of different buildings, uh, and there was like some markets that they had stuff that they were selling. But then right in the middle, there was this one big, massive temple. And this thing was. Beautiful. It was intricately designed. There was kind of sculptings and paintings around it. And as you walk into the temple, there's a little space where you can walk in, and then right in front of you are these big statues. And what people do is they walk into the temple, they bow down before these statues, and they offer up prayers, and then they give money uh, to the temple, and they are searching for life and wholeness. And as I walked in there, I thought of verses like this. That, man, my heart broke that that people could go, maybe spend hours of their day walking or going to this temple, bowing down before a man-made statue in a man-made building, thinking that maybe if I just offered up one more prayer. Maybe if I just gave a little bit more money, I could go to heaven, or I could have life, or I could be filled. And my heart broke. And I think about this, and I think, man, those idols, those statues are nothing compared to God. But then God revealed something to me. I'm walking around the temple, and I'm praying, and, and God revealed. He said, Andrew, you, your church, America, we are not exempt from worshiping at temples. We are not exempt from bowing down and serving idols. Now, do our temples and our idols look different? Absolutely. But make no mistake, we serve gods of this world. We serve man-made idols to try and find life and joy all the time. A false god doesn't have to be a statue of another religion. A false god is anything that takes your worship. An idol is anything that takes your heart. As I said before, it's whatever captivates your heart most there's anything in this world that you give you the most money time attention to if it has your affection if you're trying to find life and joy in it it has become a false god in our lives we're riddled with this we have gods all over we serve things we give money to things we are not exempt from this and maybe for us it's not a a statue of a God, but maybe it's simply just our jobs. Maybe we spend 60 hours a week at our jobs because we think that might finally validate us. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's your kids that you think, man, if I just raise them the right way, if I just get them further than I did, then I've succeeded, then then I find value in my life. Maybe it's, your image, things that you throw money at to make sure that you look just the right way so that you can be approved of. Maybe it's sports for us. I mean, the untouchable God of our culture is Husker football. Like, can we just be honest? Like, think about the fall. We have a lot of us that just check out. I mean, if it's not Husker football, it doesn't matter in the fall. We worship 45 minutes away. We gather with 100,000 others, and what unites us is our worship in the temple. Friends, we worship gods. We worship at temples. We serve things of this world. And David is pleading with us and saying, if you find life and joy, acceptance and validation from anything other than God, said it's a worthless idol because it cannot give you what you want it to. It can not. And so David gives us an answer, though. He gives us a second option. He says the idols are worthless, but he says there's a better way. He goes on to say about God in verse 5. He says the idols are worthless, but God made the heavens. So I want us to think about this. I want us to think about this as a family. God has no beginning. God has full perfection. And in his mercy, God created everything. Think about the galaxies. Think about the depths of the ocean. Think about everything that is, was not only created by God, but is also sustained by God. God says if He moves for a second, if He leaves us for a second, our earth crumbles to the ground. If you ever want to be in awe of God's creative majesty, just go to Job. Read Job 38 through 41. Let me give you a few highlights of what God says. God says that I laid the foundations of the earth. I molded and sculpted the earth with my voice and I placed it where it should be because I chose to. God says I measured the seas. The oceans, the vast expanse of the oceans are as big and as wide and as deep because I wanted it that way. He says, I shut them in with land where I chose for them to stop. God says, I command the morning. He said, the sun rises and the sun sets because I tell it to. He says, I control the light. I control the darkness. I control the sun. I control the moon. He says, when it rains, it rains because I tell it to rain. When there's a drought, there's a drought because I tell it not to rain says, I've commanded the lightning. He tells Job, have you? Do you tell the lightning where to strike? He says, no, I tell the lightning where to strike. He says, man, the mountaintops, the oceans, the canyons, they are there and they bow to my will. He says, the stars are in their place right now because I am holding them there. If I move my finger, the stars crumble. He says, man, does anybody anybody in this room Do you know what the lions and the elephants are doing in the safari of Africa right now? Do you have any idea of how they are doing? God says, not only did I create them, I feed them. I know them. I I sustain them. I sustain the birds in the air. I sustain the bugs on the ground. I sustain human life because I choose to do so. Friends, do not be deceived. Our God is glorious. The breath you are breathing right now is a gift from God. We would not be here if God did not allow us to be here. This is our God. And honestly, I feel like for David, this is a bit of a trump card, right? Like you, anything else you want to serve, he says, they bow down to God. Like God allows them to be. He says, I man, there's nothing else. There's nothing higher than creating and sustaining everything. Like there's nothing else that can even compete. But because God is so glorious, David goes on. He says in verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Did you know if you read through the Bible, there's not one person that even caught a glimmer of the glory of God and did not fall flat on their face as if they were dead in worship. No one can even see a glimmer of of the glory of God, without falling on their face in complete adoration. This is our call. There's splendor, there's majesty in our God. He goes on, he says, there's strength and beauty in his sanctuary. Do you have anybody that's a a nature person? You love being out in nature, and, and we get to see these scenes of mountains and clear lakes. We get to see oceans and sunsets over them. We see the big redwoods in the forest and we see this beauty in our earth. We see see people and we see things that are just beautiful. And friends, they pale as a shadow of the beauty of God. Those things are just a figment of the beauty that God beholds. City Light, from this psalm, I want our hearts to, to be like David's heart, that he bursts out and says, "Man, there's nothing in this earth that deserves my heart apart from God. There's nothing on this earth that deserves my praise apart from God. There's nothing on this earth that deserves me giving my time, energy, and life to apart from the things of God. And City Light, my hope is that we would be a church that gets more excited about the things of God than the score of the game last night. My my hope is that as a church, we would care more about God's glory than our reputation and fame. My hope is as a church, when we sing to the Lord, we focus on the King and not what the person sitting next to us might think. What if we were a church that focused passionately on God's glory? May we be enthralled by our God. And in light of that, in light of this glory of God, David is going to show us what our response should be. He says, I want your heart stirred in affection, but he wants to remind us of our mission. So we see the glory of God. Now I want to look through the psalm and see, man, what is our mission? What do we do with that? If we've experienced God's glory, what do we do? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to skip around again quite a bit here, but let me quickly show you and give you a hint at what David thinks we should do. Verse 1, we are to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 3, declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of all the peoples. Verse 9, worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Verse 10, we are to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So do you see a theme here that David's getting at? Do you see a theme here at the mission of God's people? We are to ascribe him glory. We are to sing to our Lord. We are to declare of his works to all peoples to all nations, to all the families of all the peoples, to the ends of the earth. So what exactly are we to tell them? What are, he says, declare his works to the ends of the earth. Declare his works to all the nations. Well, what, what are we to tell them? What is this salvation that we are to tell? What is this marvelous work that we're to tell all peoples? Well, you see, when David is speaking here, And as you look through the Old Testament, most often when they speak of salvation, they speak of God redeeming and saving his people. Now in the Old Testament, the the primary pinnacle of that was when God saved his people out of the hands of the Egyptians and brought them into the promised land. You see that all over the Old Testament, all over the Psalms. They remember how God saved you from Egypt and brought you into The promised land. This is the salvation that he speaks of. But David and the scriptures also speak of a greater salvation. They point forward to an ultimate salvation. See, they knew that they didn't just need an earthly salvation from their oppressors, they need a greater salvation. And friends, the most marvelous work God has ever done has been his act of eternal salvation salvation for his people through the work of Christ. This is the most marvelous work that God has done. And this idea of marvelous, this word marvelous here, literally means that that it is impossible, that it it is too great for us to do apart from a divine, supernatural act. Saying, declare the impossible. Declare what happened that no one could do, but that still This is what David is saying here, declare these works to the people. And there's nothing more marvelous, there's nothing more glorious that God could do than save sinners from the pit of hell. There's nothing more great that God has done. What's greater than him laying the foundations of the earth, what's greater than him feeding the animals and telling the lightning to strike is that he redeemed dead souls to himself the marvelous work that God has done is that he sent his son for not just people but what says in Romans 5 his enemies his enemies that were dead in sin you and I have been redeemed by Christ and don't miss this just because we've heard it a million times Just because you've heard that Jesus died for you a million times, don't miss the marvelous nature that what was impossible for us to do, God did. The marvelous work of bringing a dead soul to life. The marvelous work of bringing a rebellious sinner from the pit of hell to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. This is the salvation that we are to tell. And so friends, let me ask you, Has your affection for your own salvation, what God has done in your heart, transferred into a passion for telling people about it? Is your heart so stirred that you were dead in sin and that God graciously laid salvation on you? Has that stirred in you a passion to tell the ends of the earth, to tell every nation, every tribe, every tongue that the Lord reigns and that salvation may come. Friends, this is our great purpose. This is our mission. This is what we are to do. And David says, don't let this stop with you, but tell the world. And I know that that a common objection, if we can just be honest, one of the common objections that you may say is, well, there's a ton of lost people right here. Right In Omaha, Nebraska, there's, there's lost people over. There's people that don't know Jesus. So why don't we just stay here, and why don't we let people there stay there? And we tell the gospel here, and they tell the gospel there. Now, let me say yes and amen that we need to be a people that are telling our neighbors, our friends, and our families about the glory of God. Absolutely. But here's the problem with this thought. You see, globally, there's an estimated 16,000 people groups. And a people group is not just a, a country, but it's, just a, it's a group of people that have a shared uh, culture, identity, language. There's 16,000 different people groups in our world. 6,000 of them are unreached with the gospel. And what that means is that in their population, less than 2% of them are Christians. So, if Christians stay where they are at, that is over 6,000 people groups, more than 3 billion people that will most likely be born, will live, and will die, and will never hear that there is a God who loves them enough to die for them. 3 billion people in our world today have no access to the gospel that we hear every week. And City Light, it is for this reason that we must go. We must go. Three billion souls are at stake for us if we choose to stay, if we choose to not get involved. David says, God is so big, he is not the God of the American church, he is the God of all nations, and he has a heart, and he has said that he will save a people from every nation. And this isn't just David's thing, this isn't just a a psalm that, that says, go to the world. You know, Jesus's command, the great commission for us, the great glorious truth that God has given us is, make disciples of all nations, Jesus doesn't say, go make a ton of disciples. He doesn't say, go make disciples of anyone. Go make disciples of the people in your city. Jesus gives not a generic command, but a specific command. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups around the entire world. Friends, this is our identity. This is our mission. If you are a Christian, this is who you are. We must be globally-minded Christians because our God is a globally-minded God. There's no other option. We have no other option to obey God except to go to the ends of the world and tell of His marvelous works. And so, friends, this morning, would the glory of God stir in you an affection to be stirred to radically jump on board with the mission of God? Would you be stirred in such a way that you have a zeal to tell all nations about our God and the work that he has done through Jesus Christ. For some of you, this may mean getting up and going. This may mean going overseas on a short-term trip or packing up and moving overseas to tell the world about our Savior. For others of you, this may not mean moving. This may mean just getting involved in our city. You know, there's uh, Yates Community Center that we partner with that works with refugees in our city, and many of whom are from nations that have no access to the gospel. They're right here in our city. For some of you, it may be befriending and building a relationship with international students at UNO or Creighton or UNMC. You know, God is so crazy that He sends some of the most unreached peoples to our city, like, He sends them here. He doesn't even make us go. He says, just, just befriend someone in your city. Some of the hardest-to-go places in the Middle East and around the world, they're coming here. Like, they're in our city. Would we reach the nations even here? For others of you, would this mean, I mean getting involved by financially giving? That, that our denomination, the, the Christian Mission Alliance, we have what's called the Great Commission Fund which supports and funds missionaries around the world, the global gospel work that is being done through our denomination and some of the toughest to reach places, would you consider this morning giving? And say, I, mean, I want to be a part of it. Even if I don't get up and go, I would love to give to this end. This is our mission. Friends, do not let the glory of God cease with you. Do not conceal it. Do not protect it inside, but let it be your song. Let it be your praise. And let it drive us from the work of our Savior to the ends of the earth. And friends, we're going to take communion this morning. And so I want to invite, if the, the communion servers will go back, I, uh, but I want you to think about something a little bit differently this morning. They're going to come up in a minute, and they're going to, we're going to do communion as we usually do. But I want you to think about this as you come to take communion. If you're a believer in the room, if you believe in the work of Christ, we want to invite you to take communion this morning. And you know, in Psalm 96.1, David says, to sing to the Lord a new song. And what that means is that's not just a, a new, new lyrics that we need to write, but David is is saying that there's new praises to be had for the new works of God. That he's confident that God is going to do something new. That there's going to be newness that happens in the future. That we are confident of that. And when we come forward to take communion, we look back at what Jesus has done on the cross, but we simultaneously look forward to something new God is going to do. You know, in Revelation, the very... End of all things, when God has redeemed His people and we are with Him in heaven, He also says we'll sing a new song. There's a new song that's coming then. Not just in the Psalms, not just today, but there's a new song coming. And it's a new song of new hope. And you know what that song is? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For years and all of eternity we will sing of our King Jesus. Jesus, And you know who sings that song? Revelation 5-9 says that it is a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race, every ethnicity, every people group, every economic background, that we then will be one people. And as Chris said earlier, in the midst of a week of utter division, utter hate, utter violence, where there's just injustice running rampant in our world, we take communion, and that is symbolic of that day when we will be one people. When all the pain is gone, all the hurt is gone, all the divisions are gone, when you take that bread and that juice, you are remembering what Christ has done, and we are longing for that day when the world has been reached, when the the races of the world come together and we sing one song in many languages to one king. So as you come forward, would you think and yearn for that day? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you are glorious, that you have redeemed us, that you have saved us, that you have done a marvelous work, and that for eternity to come, we will sing your praises. God, I pray now as we take communion, would this not just be a mundane act that we do as a church, but would we remember that you came to redeem a people, and would we anticipate the day when this is fully consummated? when we will be one people in many languages, of many races, of many peoples, singing the praises of our King. Oh Lord, would you help us? Would you stir this in us? Would you give us a passion for this? We need you, and we pray in your name. Amen.